This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And my name is Ben Bolin. I am stone cold sober. Stone cold. As we do this. Uh, <laughs> Every time, right? do this podcast. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Cough medicine, that type of thing. You right? know, yeah. I, I got a rough life, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, actually, I uh, drink, drinking jokes aside, um, that's that's a bit of a segue because we're going to talk about one of the most interesting periods, I think, in American history, in recent American history. I agree. I agree. The uh, the era in like the, the early 1900s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1920s, 1930s, yep. 1940s. That era, there was some uh, some pretty cool stuff going on in the back uh, back roads in, in the southeast here. Yes, and uh, that's what we're going to be getting at here when we talk about um, whiskey runners, really. Yep. Uh, rum runners, bootleggers, bootleggers. What do you want yeah. to call them? Uh, uh, alcohol smugglers. That's not near as cool. As no, no. I like bootleggers. Yeah, I like I like bootleggers. I like um. Rum, rum runners and uh, moonshiners. You know maybe? where bootlegger came from? Did you uh, read this? It, bootlegger, anecdotally, by the way, this is not proven, oh. but, but people believe that the phrase bootlegger came about because during the uh, pioneering days when it was illegal to sell liquor to Native Americans, there would be people who did so anyway by uh, secreting a flask in their boot, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, they would, I don't know, make a bajillion dollars and live happily ever after. Hmm. Probably not at that period in history. See, this differs from what I've heard. What did you hear? I heard it was a Civil War era thing oh. uh, where they would sneak alcohol into uh, the, um, you know, the military camps uh, by the same method. Okay. You know, put it in their put it in their boot because you know they had these tall leather boots that they wore all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was just a, a way of smuggling 
alcohol into some area that wasn't supposed to be there. Muy interesante. Yeah. So, I mean, and there's probably 10 other stories about how that, uh, that came about. And they all go back to some situation where some poor sap has to put a flask in exactly. his shoe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so here's where we're at. We, we yeah. got this note from uh, a guy named Big Papa. And you may remember we read this email in one of our Nuts and Bolts episodes. We sure did, yeah. And, um, it, you know, he, he had an interest in, he said he has a growing obsession with uh, pre-World War II cars and the people who drove them. Uh, more specifically, bootleggers of Georgia and South Carolina, guys mm. like Junior Johnson, Raymond Parks, and Tom Voigt. Uh, so that's my suggestion. I'm currently reading a book called Driving with the Devil. Oh, about yeah. and That's all about Raymond Parks and his influence on NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I put it aside for a little while, sure. and then, you know, when we go through our master list of what we want to do and what we want to cover, I had this note, and I thought, well, it sounds like an interesting topic. Let me take a look at it. Ben, I, I'm completely hooked on this now. I, I'm, one thing i got to say up front, and this is just so that, you know, we, we know, I think everybody already knows this. I'm not the biggest NASCAR fan. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think NASCAR all right. is all right. Yeah, but, um, you're not a NASCAR Hater, you're not an no. enemy of NASCAR. No, exactly. So you know, stop the hate email right now. But um, <laughs> but I'm more of an open wheel racing fan, sure. and this is not what this is all about. This is about NASCAR, and this is about the the birth of NASCAR, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, you know what, uh, NASCAR doesn't hold an interest for me. The the story that leads up to it does. I mean, because you. because I took a quick look at an excerpt. You know, this is the book that I mentioned, um, Driving with the Devil. Yes, is by Neil Thompson. And I read a couple of, you know, short articles by Neil and, you know, it describes what it's about and, you know, what his intent was with the book. And, you know, because he said that, you know, you'll often hear this and we've, we're guilty of this too in that, and not that it's so much guilty, but when you mention NASCAR, you say that it arose from the back roads of Georgia, you know, with uh, the bootleggers in their sure. past and history. And that's about it. That's about all you hear about it. Um, you don't, it's kind of glazed over in that, you know, you don't get the real in-depth story about why all that happened how it all came about and, mm-hmm. and who was involved. Mm-hmm. Well, I read an excerpt from his book um, that was in one of his articles, and it's you know from chapter one, and it printed out to be about seven or eight pages. I can't I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of this book now, Ben. I mean, I did this you know yesterday or something you know prepping for this podcast. Sure. Didn't have time to grab the book. Uh huh. I want more than anything to read this book now, just because of what I read in this first this little excerpt, which is. I mean that says a lot because I want to. Do you want to? Do you have a passage you want to read out? Uh, no, no, I don't no? want to read okay. a passage because you know I let people find it on their own. But I mean, no spoilers. It, it's an excerpt, excerpt from, um, yeah, from Neil Thompson's book, and I would say you know just just take a look at that excerpt and see what you think mm-hmm. if you're in the same camp as I am because um, it just seems to draw you in you know with with the the intrigue of how how this all came about mm-hmm. um, and and really some of the the uh, the bigger things that were going on in the country at the time. That led to the birth of NASCAR. It's like it all happened at once—a perfect yeah, storm. Yeah, perfect storm. That's yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. And also, uh, we we want to refer people to you know, being that we are an automotive and vehicular show, we're not going to do a whole bunch about a lot of historical background, but we will recommend, and I think you guys will enjoy the episode if you haven't heard it yet. Um, our podcast buddies. Uh, Chuck and Josh have an episode on prohibition. Mm-hmm. So they'll answer a lot of the non-car questions. So uh so that that gets you to right where we uh where we want you at this point because yes. because what we're talking about is uh the period between 1920 and 1933 in the United States mm-hmm. which was prohibition. 
And uh, Prohibition came about, was it the 18th Amendment to the Constitution? I think it was in 1919 or something like that. Yeah. And um, it was actually later, I mean, I'm, I'm going to just tell you now, it was repealed in 1933, and that's why, you know, Prohibition ended. Right. Which I believe, and check, check me if I'm wrong here, I, but I think that's the only complete amendment to have been, or uh, only amendment to have been completely, completely repealed. Re- repealed. Yeah. Of, of other amendments that have been repealed, only segments of those amendments have been taken away. Mm-hmm. The 18th Amendment was completely repealed by the 21st Amendment in 1933. And then there was a little thing in the interim of that you may have heard of, um, the Great Depression. Yes. And a lot of people believe that prohibition itself was ended due to the um, taxation uh, benefit or taxation incentive the government could potentially reap if they legalized alcohol again. Yeah, see, this is the thing. If you, if you don't know what's going on with uh, prohibition, just just a quick yeah, yeah. note here. It it essentially made it um, illegal for anybody to uh, sell, manufacture, or transport mm-hmm. alcoholic beverages in the United States. Okay, mm-hmm. so from 1919, but really 1920 is about when they, they when start it hits, this. Yeah. yeah, it's illegal to do any of those things. Now, what usually happens when they make something illegal? Oh, uh, well, it starts out with the teenagers doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But pretty soon it ends up being everybody. Well, it's, uh, the idea is that, you know, once it's illegal, then it becomes a, a, a commodity that you can then get a lot of money for, let's say. I, right. I don't know if that's the best way to- No, the, to, cri- the criminal underworld then has an incentive, uh, to follow up on that profit margin. Sure, they're gonna run a black market is what's and gonna happen. And gouge prices, you know, that you would never see in a, in a legitimate market. Exactly, exactly. So there's all this nefarious, uh, activity mm-hmm. that's happening oh, around. Oh, nefarious, I love that yeah, one. I yeah. love diabolical. Thank you very much. I also like diabolical, because, uh, <laughs> Bruce Wayne used to say We diabolical. totally grew up on comic books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, so, so, uh, there okay, we so, are. so, the reason that it was repealed is because, you know, th- this led to this dramatic growth in, in violent and organized crime in the United States. Yes. And this is where you get gangsters like Al Capone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he made a fortune mm-hmm. selling, um, you know, selling illegal alcohol to speakeasies, blind pigs, you know, things Running like that. Running in from Canada. Exactly. And speakeasies, if you don't know, I mean, boy, I feel like I'm going in this big circle here and before no, this we get back cool, to this it. Cool. But, uh, um, yeah, speakeasies are just a, a were secret private clubs yeah. where you could talk without worry about alcohol. They would also serve alcohol. However, um the quality of the booze could be very, very um varied. Very, uh, very what? varied. Look I want to talk about that in just a moment, but yeah. when I read uh, speakeasies were more of like a high class um, situation where you know men might be required to wear a suit. Right. Women would have to be dressed as well. You know. Oh, and blind pigs and, were the other ones. right? Yeah. Yeah. See, okay, the speakeasy right. was like the high class club. Okay. The blind pig was more of a uh, like a corner bar. That's where you get that carburetor moonshine. Yeah, that's right. The uh, the white lightning that we're talking about. Yeah. The corn mash stuff. Yeah. Now the thing is about um, so it was like a lower quality, and they might have just beer or real low end liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing about this was the way they got around a lot of these, now they're, the, the name Blind Pig, you know where that came from, right? Or did you hear this at all? Um, I, I'm assuming that it's a reference to, uh, the blindness that can occur nope. from drinking that. No, nope. nope, nope, nope. This came from, uh, one of these odd little things that, that it, it's a way around the law. Okay. It was because remember they couldn't sell, manufacture, transport it, right? So they yeah. have this alcohol in the in the back room, right? Yeah, and they would 
draw like, draw the customers in saying like uh you know it's it's um 75 cents to see this this the uh, blind tiger the, the, the blind, blind pig exactly yeah. the blind pig pig or whatever yeah. and uh oh since you're paying the admission here's a complimentary beverage and so that's the way they get around the law is that you know that i'll you know along with your uh your admission to see the blind pig you get this uh this this free bottle of beer gosh so see? you just keep buying tickets yeah that's the thing like you yeah, exactly. go see that pig again exactly yeah that was uh <laughs> so that's where the term came about supposedly 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 there's I some mean, anecdotes i'm, I'm sure that someone's going to dispute that but dude let's go to um well, I'm sorry. Oh no! One quick thing though. You yeah. mentioned quality, and do you want to you want to wait on this or no? The um, quality of booze because no, we're already here. Let's do it because it's a huge sure? thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, quality. Now, this is where you know when when there's very limited supply, you got people that are willing to to risk everything, right? To yes. uh, to, to bring these to bring the people what they want. When you tell someone they can't have something, that's what they want, right? Mm-hmm. My wife does this all the time. <laughs> oh God. Like you can't have coffee today. You get. Uh, I know you didn't expect it to go into this, did you? Well, it's okay because she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, it's about cars. <laughs> so, um, you know, like let's say that you're going in for a medical procedure or something, and they tell you you can't eat after midnight. Then you don't get hungry till eleven fifty eight. Exactly right. Yeah, and then she'll say, "I how am I going to do it?" You're like, yeah. well, what? You crazy? You don't have to. You don't have to eat after midnight. You never do anyways. Yeah. So it just drives her nuts when she can't have something. That, you know, they tell her that she can't have something. Mm-hmm. And same, that's sort of a common thing. It's so. the same thing with alcohol. I mean, I'm sure that people just went nuts when they said, you can't have this. And they said, well, I like that. <laughs> I need it right now. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of... Rabble rousing. Yeah, exactly. Rabble, rabble, rabble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there were people that were willing to risk everything, and mm. they would bring alcohol, booze, whatever, liquor, whatever, mm. champagne from Canada, from Mexico, from the Bahamas. From the Caribbean. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 the Caribbean. They'd bring it up and they would say, um, they'd bring it just to the edge of where it was legal, right? And it would mm. be res- the responsibility of someone to come and pick it up from them. Yes. And the thing is with this alcohol that's coming from elsewhere, it would often be relabeled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd have these uh, just really, really cheap uh, liqueurs and and beers and things that were relabeled to be premium brands, mm-hmm. and people were paying high high amounts for that already. And then, of course, you know that's resold even higher because right. of the pro- prohibition. And uh, you can see where you know the the cost of these things was just skyrocketing. So people are making money off of this hand over fist everywhere. Money. That's yeah. right. Um, one of the guys. Do you, do you have a note about this guy, William sure. William McCoy? Go. No, you go. You okay, William McCoy. And there's some speculation about this too. This is all speculation on some some of these, not all of them. Mm-hmm. This may be where the real McCoy uh, phrase comes in, uh, because he was the one that would bring uh, he was the one that would bring booze from the Bahamas mm-hmm. and bring it right up to the edge of you know federal waters where you know the the, uh, the law couldn't touch him, and then boats you know smaller boats would come out, load up, and then head back to shore with their illegal. Illegal booze. These are the rum runners, right? Yeah, they were usually called rum runners. Yeah, the rum runners in the yeah. boats. And it was said that you know he would he would be one that would not he would not relabel anything, and he would bring only high quality liquor to uh, to the states. Good business. And sense. they called it you know that that's where the term term came from, the real McCoy. It's not it's not you know some made up. That's not uh, it's not a fake. That's the real McCoy. That's that's a cool. So it makes sense. But is it true or not? See, that's that's another thing you'll run into a lot here. When you're talking about what is essentially a criminal enterprise, mm-hmm. there's not really a revealed history, by, by which I mean 
um, there's not a history that's being written down at the same time mm-hmm. as the acts are occurring. We have we have books that look back on it, yeah, with a certain degree of accuracy. But there's always going to be a certain margin of error because we don't. Part of the reason these guys were successful is because they didn't publicize or talk about it. No, um, but fortunately, um, we know we know a, a little bit of uh, cool stuff about yeah. their cars. They're talking now. Yeah, they're talking now. Yeah, that's oh, right, buddy. I mean, you got they? Junior Johnson, who's still still out there, who's uh, what he calls himself now, a gentleman farmer. Yes, at yeah. this point, which I think is kind of cool. I'd like to be a gentleman farmer myself. I mean, I, I I appreciate him for not going the whole nine and calling himself a squire, a country <laughs> squire, or something. Yeah, no, he um he's an interesting cat. That guy, he is, that yeah. Junior Johnson. He's uh hey one one quick thing about Junior Johnson, and I, mm. I um I may have to dig in my notes here, so give me okay. just a second. But um I I'll believe. Tell you. Oh, you oh you. go ahead. No, go ahead. I want you. Well, to... I was going to say I can tell you a short story about uh moonshine in Tennessee. Okay. Great. Uh, moonshining, as you know, in Appalachia, it, uh, is not as common as it was now. In, act, in actuality, uh, a lot of the folks who would have been making moonshine, if it was still illegal, are making methamphetamine. Oh, boy. Well, it's a profit margin thing. Yeah. You know? And um, it's it's weird because you can still run across a still, a moonshine still up in the hollers or something. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, we ran into one. We totally thought it was uh, – I thought it was part of a like burned down kitchen, and the only <laughs> thing that was around was the you know the different um, the tubing you see to yeah. to help with the fermentation. Oh, sure, stuff. the copper tubing. Yeah, and, and then yeah. and then an empty refrigerator. I don't know why, man, but sometimes it's like <laughs> the woods in Tennessee are where appliances go to die. That that and the uh, seven hundred pound pile of potatoes next to it that didn't give it away. That, that or corn thing. or whatever it would be, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, you know what? It sounds obvious now, but the guy had a really good story about it. Yeah. You know, I had a friend in high school that made his own moonshine for a short time. No way. Yeah, he did. His grandmother taught him how, mm. believe it or not. Wow. I Isn't that crazy? It. I believe it. It's, uh, and that wasn't here either. Anyways, uh, I got the note about Junior yes. Johnson today. Um says he lives life as a gentleman farmer on an estate in the Appalachian foothills. Um, in 1985, President Ronald Reagan granted Johnson a full and unconditional pardon for his moonshining conviction in 1956. Wild. So isn't that crazy? So anyways, okay, so let's get back into our... Uh, our our moonshining history bit here. Or I mean, yeah. our uh, whiskey runners. Whiskey runners. Because yes. um, so now you get an idea that you know prohibition was a, a, something that made uh, whiskey something very desirable mm-hmm. to the American public, and uh, you know, of course, one of those you can't have it, so you gotta you, know, you feel like you need it. And we can assume that that made it very desirable as well to law enforcement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They uh, they were you know going to do anything they could to uh, to fight this because they knew that there was this. This uh, marginal side of society out there that was still enjoying partaking, and I'm sure plenty of the police officers were at the time too. What's a, um, my, one of my favorite quotations about the prohibition era is that people will continue to vote for prohibition so long as they can stagger to the polls. <laughs> sure I can't remember who said it, but you've heard that. Very too. good. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, it's it's a good one. So yeah, so this is this is big business. Yeah, it is, and the reason is because. All right, so you got all these all these uh, places that are wanting to make money, um, you know, both both producing, mm-hmm. selling the, uh, the the merchandise, which is you know this this corn mash or whatever it is, right. the white lightning, we'll call it that yeah. moonshine. Um, how do you get it from the stills to where it's to be sold? 
Without and, getting caught? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now you got police watching for this type of thing, remember. They're watching yeah. for the transport because they know that in, you know, in the foothills here in the, in the mountains, sure. in, uh, Carolina, Georgia, you know, those areas, they're, they're producing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure elsewhere, but this is where it's known for and where it, where it came from, I guess. I give you one um, thing. What's that? You drive in the dark. That's one thing. Yep. You drive in the dark. Another thing is you, uh, you modify your car so that, um, you know, it can carry extra weight, uh, because you're talking about, hundreds of gallons of, of liquid, mm-hmm. and that weighs a lot. I mean, that's uh, I don't remember what a gallon of moonshine weighs. Not that I would have really known that. I should have looked it up, I guess. But, um, you know, what's, let's just say it's eight pounds. Sure. What if it's uh, you're carrying an extra 800 pounds in your trunk? You don't think that a police officer is going to notice if the trunk of your vehicle's scraping the ground as, uh, as you drive by? Oh, dragging. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, they had you know special suspensions mm-hmm. that would look the same whether it was weighted or not. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they were ridiculously fast vehicles. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they, they've got these giant V8s. If, of course, yeah. the, uh, the Ford V8s at the time were the ones Flat that, heads, right? yeah, those are the ones that people would just modify the heck out of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, to the very tip top of performance where they couldn't go any faster. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the most popular engine. Well, one the of their mods, I, I read that one of the modifications they did, um, when they were driving those Fords, mm-hmm. uh, is that if they could find it, they would take a big Cadillac engine and they would switch it out. To get more punch. Very nice. A big, um, like a big 500 cubic inch yeah, Cadillac yeah, yeah, engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because those were huge. Boats. Yes. Yeah. And that sort of depends on like, can we, can we fit it in, you know? <laughs> well, see, that's, that's where all this, uh, this kind of like, um, uh, shade tree mechanic type, uh, engineering comes into fit, into play. I like that. You know, phrase, it's like, it's like, what would, uh, you know, what can I do to this car to make it better than the police vehicles that are going to be chasing me? Mm-hmm. And they needed somebody, you know, in addition to all this, they had things like, um, you know, things that would cover up the license plate so you couldn't see it or, right. you know, something like that or, or just no license plate at all. Mm-hmm. They would paint the cars in flat black, take off all the chrome so that it wasn't reflected. Drive with their headlights off. Drive with the headlights off. Another thing I noticed uh, or read about was um, a toggle switch that they could install that would kind of mess with the light functions in the rear, rear end of the car. Uh, okay. So that if they're being chased on a back road by the police, you know, for running this moonshine, they've spotted them already. Yeah. They're running... Essentially running for their life at this point is what they said. Yes. Um, yes. They're, they're running from the police. They did this often. I mean, they wouldn't just pull over and say like, well, you got me. They're taking <laughs> off, right? And right. so it's, it's then a game of driving skill and you're driving on a dirt road or a, you know, mm-hmm. a uphill, downhill, whatever it happens to be in the, right. in the hollers. You're very often taking a, uh, a curving back road. You're yeah. not on a, s- Straight away, well-paved state road. No, no, no. It's nothing like the uh, the police chases we see now, you know, from helicopters where they're on right. the highway and it's, you yeah. know, it's nothing like that. But the speeds are about the same or yeah. faster. And, um, you know, they had toggle switches where they could, uh, say, for instance, they could disable the brake lights mm-hmm. so that the police officer behind them couldn't tell if they were braking and then would go too fast into a turn and uh, then they would slide off and then you'd be free. Um, or, you know, maybe it completely disables the lights so that, you know, it, it turns into darkness, but you can still see with your headlights and you can, you know, can escape that way. They can't follow you then at mm-hmm. that point. Um, it, there's just a number of tricks that they employed to get, you know, to get away. The, the guys that drove these cars. Yes. Now, that's the interesting part about this. And, you know, this is where we, we get back into, uh, uh, Big Papa's note here about, you know, the, the Jimmy Johnsons and, mm-hmm. uh, I'm the sorry, ju- sorry, I said Jimmy. Sorry. Junior Johnson. Junior Johnson. Okay. I probably, if, if I said Jimmy in other part of this podcast, I apologize, but I meant Junior. Junior Johnson, uh, Raymond Parks, Tom Vogt, the, you know, these guys, there's, a, there's a number of other people that have real colorful nicknames. Yeah. Um, they, uh, 
they had a choice when they were young. You know, they had this skill they could, uh, you know, they, they knew they could drive. And they knew the terrain and the area. They knew the area real well. I mean, mm-hmm. they knew it like the back of their hand because they'd grown up there. Sure. Um, the choice for them was either work on the family farm, you know, chicken farm, whatever it happened to be. I don't think at the time chicken farming was big, but it was later. Um, or they could work at the factory. You know, they could go into town and get a, you know, job at the grocery store or whatever. Sure. Or they could make a ton of money running moonshine for the local, uh, local homemade Mm-hmm. Distillery, a ton of fast money, too. a lot of fast money, and we're talking big money for at the time. I mean, it was yeah. a, it was big, big money, and uh, you know, and and it's doing something that you like to do. I mean, it was a, it was exhilarating, it was fun, uh-huh. and uh, and from from that they became even more skilled because you know then they're honing their skills on these mm-hmm. what essentially is like a dirt racetrack. It's not. Yeah. It's not really a racetrack, but it, they're treating it as such. And you have a huge incentive to win the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The incentive is that you don't get locked away for in prison or killed. And there are no. Yeah. And there are no. Um. There are not the same sort of rules of engagement that we see today in NASCAR. Um. Can I? I you know, I think that especially uh, Junior Johnson, some of the other drivers. I don't think they've been given enough credit a lot of times for not just the modifications physically that they made to their vehicles, but their technique, uh, their driving technique mm-hmm. here, I think is key. Um, I want to, I want to just take us on a sidebar real quick sure. if it's cool. There's this move called a bootlegger's turn. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Okay. Boot, well, we would call it like a handbrake turn. Oh, okay. You know, where you, uh, you're driving and you need to switch direction completely. And so you pop the emergency brake. Sure. And then you, if you do it correctly, if you are a precision driver, a stunt driver, or bootlegger, um, then you can, you can do this turn, although, you know, it plays, it plays havoc on your suspension and your tires, and hey. Oh, sure, flat spots on the tires. Not great for your, uh, not great for your emergency brake either, as no. it turns out. Hmm. Um, but the, this move came about, apparently, again, anecdotally, through, uh, bootleggers, either, you know, they did start playing around with each other, mm-hmm. um, competitively, but, uh, who could make the run faster, that type of right, thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But according to legend or I guess historical truthiness, as right. Stephen Colbert would say, <laughs> we have, uh, we, we do think that these bootleg, this bootlegger turn thing came about when uh, someone was being chased. Yeah, see, now those guys, though, they would use the throttle to do that same move. Right, they because manual, yeah. they had manual. No, they had rear-wheel drive. Uh, uh, great big V8s, you know, these big Ford V8s, and they would uh, they would just use the throttle to, to whip the back end around. Now, in these front-wheel drive cars we have, you have to use the e-brake to do the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a, it's a difficult move. Don't try it on the street or anything like that, but um, it's fun. Do it and, in the snow. And a, another thing that they did, stunt drivers. <laughs> no, I'm uh, not recommending that. Yeah, it's, Scott but, uh, did not just say No, to. I didn't, but do it in the snow. Um, and overinflate your tires. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, actually, so this, uh, I, I, I just don't think that a lot of people got the credit they deserve, these drivers. Yeah, they were for their technique. tremendously skilled. I mean, they're, they're alive. Yeah. That, that itself speaks volumes. And, and you know, here's, here's where it happened is that skill from, from this, uh, I'll call it a profession. This okay. profession. This, uh, you know, from this whiskey running, this, this uh, uh this, high speed pursuit. Exactly. The, the thing that happened here mm-hmm. is that later, okay, they go to, uh, let's say that, you know, this happened in the twenties and early part of the thirties, right? Right. Okay. So they've got all these tremendous skills. Prohibition goes away in 33. 
right? There's mm-hmm. no longer really a need for any of this. Okay, so they still got all the skill. Mm-hmm. The guys go off to uh, to World War II, fight in the war. They come back, and um, you know, you know, this is uh, what 1945, something like that. They're back in. They're back in. Uh, you know, where, whatever hometown they are in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot going on still in the in the farming community. Right. Although, from what I hear, chicken farming, like I said, it was big at the time. Let's say that a farmer had an empty field, and he decided, hey, I'm going to make a few bucks by turning it into a racetrack. Because they've got great big expanses of, of this, you know, uh, of, of land, and they turn it into a big dirt track. And I'm going to charge admission. I'm going to charge, you know, I'm going to have just run a regular race here, a weekly race. Sure. And there's promoters and everything. Um, they needed drivers to come out and kind of thrill the crowds, draw people in. They go back to the bootleggers, who are the the ones that are like the most skilled, or you know, there I'm sure there were plenty of others that tried, but right. these guys just outshone everybody. They're the vets. Outshone, outshowed. Whatever, it uh, they they, uh, they were they were the superstars yes. of the day, right? Because uh, they had all the skills necessary to drive on dirt tracks at fast speeds. Yeah, and uh, to them, this was a piece of cake, right? Mm-hmm. So they went race for. They're like, apparently. hey, I'm driving in the daytime. Yeah, exactly. This is like, um, and, and this is back in, um, you know, the time when uh, a race purse might be three hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and they said that that was only the case if the promoter didn't just leave town with the purse before anybody. Yeah, because sometimes. They'd award a trophy or whatever, and there was no money because you know the the scoundrel that that put the race on for that weekend uh, took off with the cash, and sure. it was never to be seen again for three hundred bucks. Um, and this is like the birth, you know. So this racing series began, and uh, this is where the France family came in. Mm-hmm. Um, two guys named Red. I'll have to look at my notes here again. <laughs> but um, one was Red Byron. I think was the name of the first the guy that won the first NASCAR race officially, first NASCAR race. Um, another guy named Red, I think, was the one who coined the term NASCAR. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, that, that's true. Yes, the North American Stock Car mm-hmm. Association, whatever, has something like that. <laughs> anyway, I'm not a NASCAR fan, Ben. Anyways, um, this is where the France family. This is where the France family came in, and they still have a stronghold on NASCAR. And this this thing that started in these farmers' fields and, and literally cow pastures mm-hmm. uh, has now become multi-billion-dollar. You know, a multi-billion-dollar industry. Yes. Uh, there are two hundred thousand plus fans at races. There are, um, I mean, sponsorships are in the millions and millions of dollars just to sponsor a car. Mm-hmm. Um, this is nothing like what it was back then. Only in that, you know, the spirit of it's still there. You know, that the 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 um, the idea that you know you can make that car go just a little bit faster with your your tinkering and yes, this is the same thing that the uh, that the whiskey runners would do. With their cars, you know, they would they would modify them right to the peak end that they possibly could, and then uh, just hope that they were better than the police cars. And before anybody writes in to uh, give us a slap on the wrist, if you think that we are glorifying these guys or uh, lionizing them or whatever, we we're we're not really we we think what they did their vehicles are are cool things, and then we think that uh, it definitely shows impressive technique. And we think it's a fascinating story, but we are not condoning smuggling. No, no. When you yeah. look back, I mean, these guys have arrests and felonies. Sure. And, um, and yet, like we said, they, they're not uh, angels. No, no, they're definitely just excellent not. drivers. But, yeah, that, that's fine. I mean, that's part of yeah. their uh, the checkered past of NASCAR, I guess, is what, yes. uh, what they've said many, many times in the news. I know as checkered as and the uh, and that's exactly why. Um, um, uh, what's his name here? 
uh, BP, Big Papa? No, 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 no. Neil Thompson. That's why Neil uh. Thompson wrote this book is that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot more to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't wait. I mean, you know, like I said, it was just too soon before we were going to record this that I couldn't yeah. get my hand on a book to, to read it fast enough. But, um, I definitely am going to put this on my reading list for, you know, sometime very soon mm-hmm. over the next vacation or something. What a good, let's, uh, we can go ahead and wrap on this one, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and wrap up on this. And here's a good question, Scott. You gave me a great idea to ask our listeners. Uh, guys, do you have any books about uh, vehicles or interesting stories like the whiskey running bootlegging we talked about today? If so, let us know because uh, Scott and I are both voracious readers, especially if it's related to stuff that we find interesting, right? Um, you can tell us about uh, that on Facebook, on Twitter, where we are Car Stuff HSW. You can also find us on our blog. Uh, you can check out our website under the Auto Channel if you have any questions uh, that are not answered. Somehow, they should have all the answers, right? Yeah, Between sure. all those things. I would think it would. Yeah. Well, if we've, if we've slipped up a little and we haven't answered something, uh, write to us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.